You're listening to the Grace Covenant Statesville audio podcast. Early on in our marriage, um, Betsy and I would, you know, as, as any young couple does, you have arguments. Um, and you're debating, you know, one side or the other and whatever the issue is. And I, I remember there was, there was a couple of these. Um, so, um, and, it, 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 and I don't remember all the details. They're not really that significant. But you're upset at each other. You know, you're, no one crosses a line. But you're very upset at one another. And, and you're, you know, the, the, the volume gets a little high. The, the tone of the voices get a little harsh. And, and sometimes for us, all right, it's happened. And now you just need a little bit of time for everyone to settle down. But ultimately, in every instance, one of us goes to the other and says, all right, we need to talk about this. The emotions have settled, and now, all right, let's, what happened? Let's, let's work through this. And so we work through that. We're talking, going back and forth. And she'll make the statement something like, why didn't you hug me? You could tell I was really upset. And I'm like, wait, what? How, how, I mean, you're yelling at me. Why would I even think to hug you at that moment? And her response was, because that's what I needed at that moment. Huh. I never would have thought that. Here's the thing. She wasn't wrong. She wasn't wrong. As she was processing, as she was dealing with it, she was looking at it from one way. And, you know, where, whereas she was real upset and, and what appeared to me was that she was pushing me away with her words. But inside, she really wanted the affirmation and the confidence and just for me to let her know that everything was okay. And so she was processing this conflict with emotion, whereas I was processing it by what I was seeing and hearing at the, in the moment. The tension that we experience, um, the tension between what we experience and what we think is really at the heart of the sermon series that we're going to be starting uh, here today, next three weeks. It's a, it's a three-week series we've entitled Hope in the Dark. It's based off the book of Habakkuk, which is one of those small Old Testament books. Um, it's, it's actually, for, <laughs> for most of us, we have to look in the index to find out which page it is because it's so small you, you skip, you, you, you pass it. Um, but this, we think that this series is actually significant enough that we've actually created a weekly devotional for each of the weeks. In fact, in your worship guide, you see the devotional written by Pastor Farrell um, this week. And uh, you'll see one next week from Pastor Stan, and I wrote the one actually for week number three, just to help you throughout the week to begin to kind of just continue to work through and, and think through the things that, that we're going to be talking about. This series is so much different than the one we just finished, the one on Toxic. Toxic was, for me, really easy in that, all right, here's the issues, let's talk about it. Now, here are three things you can do to be better. Here, there were some practical action steps or some things that would do. Um, this series isn't like that. It's as much about a frame of mind as is it about doing something. Yet at the same time, I think it's probably the most imp- one of the most important topics that we could look at 
Because it really it goes to the very heart of how we understand God. And that's really important. Each of us has encountered circumstances in life when the outcome of those circumstances didn't align with our hope and expectations. Our mind was saying and our mind was processing the reality, but the emotions of hope and expectation were very different and there was a clash. Sometimes it looks like the loss of a job or the death of a close friend or a family member or the betrayal by a friend. Maybe it's the end of a relationship or we think we've been treated unjustly, but somehow our reality doesn't mesh with what we think things should be and we're hurt and we're upset and we get disillusioned. The problem... One of the problems within that, just besides just the, the, the pain it causes us, is that we begin to wonder, we ask ourselves, one of the questions we'll ask ourselves is something like, how could God let this happen? And we begin to doubt. And, and, it, and those, those seeds of doubt that begin to merge and they creep in. And It's not that we don't want to believe, I mean, we, we, we want to have faith and we, we want to believe. It's just that sometimes it's hard to reconcile our understanding of God with what we see and experience around us. The simple fact is this. Setbacks, adversity, and difficulties are common in life. How we respond to them will determine whether we move forward in growth or get stuck in bitterness and regret. As I already mentioned, this series, Hope in the Dark, comes from the Old Testament book of Habakkuk. Um, you know, it's a short book um, towards the end of the Old Testament. It's called Habakkuk because that's the author's name. Um, he self-identifies himself. Verse 1, he says, this is the prophecy from the prophet Habakkuk, and here's what I saw. Um, what we know about this person, Habakkuk, comes entirely from the book of Habakkuk. I mean, he's not mentioned anywhere else, um, th- this particular individual, and he tells us very little about himself. So we don't know very much about the individual or the person. All we know is what is in here. But what we do know is this. He is, he is considered an Old Testament prophet. He, and uh, again, just for the sake of context, so again, for those of you who like history, this was written around 600 B.C., about 600 years before the time of Christ. For just context, King David, the height of Israel's power and expansion and might, was around, roughly speaking, around 1000 BC. Okay, so you've had that. Now, if you remember from, from, if, from your Bible history, the height of Israel's power was with King David. His sons took over. They didn't do so well as far as keeping the people following God. And ultimately, about um, um, roughly 70 years after David, after, actually after his son Solomon, the, the Israel, the country of Israel splits into two different kingdoms. There's the northern kingdom and then the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom was full of ungodly leaders, idol worship, evil things predominated. Um, it was the same in the southern kingdom, but not as much. But about 200 years later, the northern kingdom falls to Assyria. So it, it no longer exists as an entity. About a hundred years later after that, Habakkuk writes 
And so he's writing to the, the southern kingdom. He's writing to, to Israel there. And about 20 years after Habakkuk writes, the southern kingdom, the southern part of Israel, falls to Babylon. Um, and we're going to talk about that in a second. But just from a sense of history and the context, where it fits within the things, this is when it was written. And he's prophesying. The, the book is about... The, even within the southern kingdom, he's talking about all the things that are wrong, all the things that are going bad. And um, he's really distraught by the injustice and moral depravity that he sees. I mean, it was pervasive within his culture. For, for him, Israelite society was sick and become evil and decadent. There's corruption, immorality, unethical practices, and violence. It would fit very well today, too, wouldn't it? Looks like our headlines. But here's the thing. What, what was really most intriguing, as bad as all this was, Habakkuk was really, really upset that God hasn't done anything. And that's the basis of, of all, what we're going to look at here in a second, is that he can't understand why God has allowed it to go on. And he's struggling to work out why God doesn't do something to bring an end to the evil and to right all the wrong. How could all this happen if you're God and you are who you say is? How does this happen? And this confusion, this discrepancy between what he thought was true and what he was seeing around him caused him to doubt and to question the very nature of God. So there's an irony, though, with this struggle because Habakkuk actually means to wrestle and to embrace. And that's what he was doing. He's wrestling and, and he's, he's trying to understand and, and come to terms of what, is, is, um, what he's seeing and what he knows to be true. So we're actually going to look at a couple passages from Habakkuk this morning. The first one comes from uh, chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. If I could have that. <clears throat> How long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you, violence, but you do not save. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. There are strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You uh, again for Your Word. And Father, for just as we're, we're sensing just what Habakkuk was feeling and the, the struggle that he was going through from what he observed and experienced in life and what he thought about God, and they just weren't mixing. Father, in these next few moments, help us to have a better sense of how he came to terms with that and how we might as well be able to reconcile those differences in our own life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So, what is Habakkuk actually saying here? I mean, there's, there's, he's, he's said a lot, but if we could boil it down into a few different statements, because um, he's asking a bunch of questions. But some of you know that questions really aren't questions, are they? They're statements. Um, and I think the, uh, Habakkuk is making a few statements here. I think one of the statements he's making is that to God, he's saying, you don't seem to care doesn't seem like you really care. And we really can't blame Habakkuk. Given the evidence, what other conclusion was there? And it's the same for us today, isn't it? Maybe we're not treated fairly at work, 
or we're facing financial ruin. And yet we've been giving and tithing faithfully and we're generous and yet we're facing that. Or we just can't seem to find that special someone to share our life. Or maybe there's problems that seem to come one right after another. And life just isn't fair. And we ask God to intervene, but nothing happens. Uh, Craig Groeschel, talking about this issue, he made this analogy. He says, I wonder if that's why superhero movies are so popular these days. Because finally there's someone out there doing something about all the bad stuff going on in the world. And they're solving and getting rid of evil. Interesting thought. Habakkuk is looking into what he's saying. He says, God, it doesn't seem like you really care because you're not doing anything. He also, one of the other statements I think we could say he makes is that, all right, so maybe let's just say you do care. You aren't doing much when you could. So even if you do care, God, you really aren't doing much about it. It feels like I take one step forward and then two steps back. It's like the story of, uh, I understand it's actually a a true story, a man who gave his life to Jesus, um, was really growing in his faith, and and was really genuine what was happening, and and deepening his faith. And um, he came to a point of this crossroads in his spiritual development when he realized that before he became a Christian, he had embezzled some money from his company. And he was convicted about that, and said, I need to go make that right. So he actually went to his employer and said, confessed what is, and said, here's my plan to pay it back. And uh, as a reward for trying to do the right godly thing, uh, the company pressed charges against him, and he spent seven years in jail. One step forward, two steps back. God, I was trying to do the right thing, I, and it just doesn't... You would think that in an instance where God would have intervened and done something, but... He didn't. So God, sometimes it just seems like you don't care. And if you do care, sometimes it just feels like you're not doing as much as you could. And I think another statement we could draw from his questions is what you are doing doesn't seem very fair. We don't have to look too far to see the evidence of this in our own lives, do we? Children with cancer. An unfaithful spouse. Evil seems to win the day time and time and time and time again. With his questions, Habakkuk is pretty is having a pretty harsh conversation with God. Again, these are statements he's being made, and they're pretty harsh and they're pretty significant, which really raises the question, is it okay to question God? Is it okay to ask these kinds of questions and to challenge God's behavior? The simple answer is yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. One-third of the Psalms, the book of Psalms, there's 150 different chapters um, within that book. A third of them, so over 50 of them, are prayers or songs of people hurting and questioning God. This idea of verbalizing, of expressing your thoughts, your confusion, your pain, your hurt, your anger, it's all very biblical. The authors of Job, Lamentations, Ecclesiastes, and Jeremiah, all of them in their books express confusion and pain of unbearable suffering by faithful believers. 
So this idea of wrestling with God is, is, is probably as biblical as any other idea we could come up with. I've discovered that honest questions, sincere doubts, and deep hurts can actually draw you closer to God than you've ever been. Here's the thing. God's not offended by your questions. He's not. This isn't something that's like, oh man, I didn't see that coming. Or, wow, they're really upset. What am I going to do? That's not how it works. And In fact, honestly acknowledging doubts about God is the first step towards building a deeper faith. It really is. You can't go deeper unless you have that crisis of actually finding God. So Habakkuk in this first part has just, he's vented his feelings and thoughts and he's, he's let God have it, if you will. And then God has a response. So we're going to read part of God's response. It's, it's, it's actually kind of long, but we're only going to read a section of it. <clears throat> Look at the nations. So this is God talking back to um, um, Habakkuk. Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. For I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. I am raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwelling places not their own. They are a feared and dreaded people. They are a law to themselves and promote their own honor. Their horses are swifter than leopards, fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their cavalry gallops headlong. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like a vulture swooping to devour. They all come bent on violence. Their hordes advance like a desert wind and gather prisoners like sand. So basically what God is saying here is, hold on, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to send the Babylonians for justice. And we know that about 20 years after Habakkuk was written, in fact, the Babylonians do come and overrun and take captive um, the Israelites. And this is where we get Daniel. Daniel lines done and Shadrach, Meshach, and Be- It's that incident that happens where we're taken and carried off. So what can we understand from God's response? There's obviously a lot in there. And there's a lot more that he said. And there's a lot we can unpack. But a few different thoughts here. One is this. God is always at work. On a, to a greater plan. God tells Habakkuk he's going to use the wicked Babylonians to bring judgment on the people of Judah. And it does happen. And, but here's the thing. This is actually even more confusing for Habakkuk. It would be for me. I mean, think about that. The Babylonians are evil. They're the bad guys. Why are you using them? Why aren't you wiping them out? They're actually part of the problem. Why are you using them to actually punish Israel? Not that Israel doesn't need to be punished, but the two just don't seem to connect. Why would God want to use them? It didn't really make any sense. Here's what I've also come to learn, is that questions like that never have an answer. They really don't. And I've I've had to come to terms with the idea that my perspective is limited. It is. It's very limited. I can only see what I can see. I can only see what I'm experiencing. I can only know what I know. And it's limited. We have to hold on to the belief that God is like this grand chess master. He's two, three, five, ten steps ahead of us. 
and understanding what's going on. So that's one of my takeaways from God's response. I think another one is this, is that God is always just in His actions. I mean, think about it this way. The sin and evil and the injustice that Habakkuk has been complaining about this going on has been going on in Israel for more than 400 years. This was not like this recent development. It's like, oh, look what's happening. This has been going on. Why hadn't God done anything yet? And why now? And why? But even that, it says, how, how is he dealing with it? You know, and there's other instances where God punished, especially see the Israelites, where God's judgment was a plague or some kind of, uh, you know, there was some kind of instant ramification towards that. And we don't see that here. We don't see that there's some internal force within Israel that's bringing about justice. It's an outside military force that's even more evil than Israel. More evil than Israel. And here's the thing. This judgment literally meant the end of Israel. Israel no longer exists as a, as a political entity. What God had promised to Abraham and what had seen fulfilled when it got into David, it all disappeared. And it didn't come back again for almost 2,500 years later. 1948, when Israel became a country again, a political entity. Think about that. So God's judgment of them was actually to, to blow it all up for 2,500 years. So life's events and circumstances won't always fit our understanding of God. Rather than turning from God, we need to wrestle and embrace the situation, especially when His actions don't make sense. Unfortunately, there's not always an easy answer. But I think like any healthy marriage relationship or any relationship, you don't grow stronger by avoiding conflict and avoiding the conversations. You grow stronger by engaging them. Likewise with God, when life is difficult and it doesn't make sense, we need to press in, not turn away. Um, you know, one of our, our children, uh, I think he's probably about eight years old, uh, this was, uh, he wanted to do something, and uh, actually I identified, was actually one of the boys, not their daughter, but uh, um, he wanted to do something, and I said, nah. And I, I, to be honest with you, I don't remember what it was, and I said, no. I said, it just, it, just, it wasn't, uh, wasn't going to be a good thing to do. He came back at me with, don't you want your child to be happy? <laughs> First of all, I was really impressed. I mean, that was, I mean, he, he, he knew a good string. So I, I was like, huh, honestly, no. <laughs> your, your happiness is not my greatest priority. And I, I remember walking away. <laughs> he never used that argument again, but uh, <clears throat> so our last takeaway from God's response is that is similar is that God is more concerned about your growth and development than your happiness. Now you may have heard this statement that God won't give you more than you can handle. It's not true. 
Okay, it's not it's not a biblical. It's it's it's. In fact, I think the opposite. I think God will often give you more than you can handle because it forces you to become dependent on Him. When when we can deal with it all and we can handle it all and it's all on ourselves, we have no need for God. And sometimes I think those seasons where things are difficult, rather than pushing us away from God, which some of us do. Some of us, we know people. We have friends or family members for whom they hit a rough spot in life and they these doubts, these questions, and for them, they turned away from God. They just said, that if this is life, if this, the, the disconnect from them from what they thought God should be and what they were seeing in their life was such that they couldn't reconcile them. And they said, well, that just means God's... I just, I just thought that was such a sad thing. And I, I think what we're trying to say today is, is that we all have these disconnects. But rather than saying, God, you're not behaving or not doing things I think I want, so I'm going to turn away from you. I think the solution is, is God, what don't I understand? And help me understand. And, and we, we intentionally push in to wrestle with and understand what God is doing and and sometimes the answers come back, and sometimes it's clear and it's understanding. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes we have to live with that uncertainty. And I wish I could tell you that this is a one-time lesson, and then you're done. All right, I get it. I'm good. I'm golden. The reality is this is a daily, daily habit. Daily exercise of processing today's current events and life's challenges through the lens of eternity. Every day, just if you, if you read the newspaper or read what's online, the headlines, it's not something we can ever escape. So here's what I do know. A committed believer can both wrestle with honest questions and embrace a genuine faith in God. So when you're in a crisis, you can be confident of a few things. One is that God's plan for your life is greater than your present circumstances. Psalm 37 says, If the Lord delights in a man's way, he makes his steps firm. Though he stumble, he will not fall, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that we will ever escape the pain and challenges of life. What we are told time and time again is that God will be with us through the difficult times. He promises to never leave us or forsake us. He will never abandon us. God will be with us through those times of difficulty. God is also at work to bring good even if you can't see it. I know that from Romans 8.28. In all things, God works for the good of those who love Him and who have been called according to His purpose. We've got to remember that our perspective is really limited. It really is. Good isn't always here and now. And it often looks very different from what we think it should be if and when it arrives. But regardless of what we can see, what we can feel, we have to hold fast to the idea that God is always good and He wants nothing but good for you and me. Lastly, you can embrace the struggle and doubt while fully trusting God. I mean, really, the whole idea of trust can't exist unless 
there's some element of doubt. Otherwise, you're not tr- it's not trust. I mean, if you know something to be certain, there's no, you don't need for trust. And so the idea that I'm trusting God, by definition, said there's an element of doubt, of wondering, of questioning. And if you find yourself in those seasons and times, you're okay. <laughs> I, I love, and I, in fact, I think that's healthy. I think that's one of the things we wanted to convey in this whole series is that to have those doubts, to have those questions, to have those concerns is a healthy part of discipleship. It's part of what it means to walk in faith. Don't let the emotions of your circumstances influence what you believe about God. So there's a lot of things we don't know, we don't understand, and we may never know this side of eternity. And our culture, our society, our, we, we want answers. We want to know. We want, we, we want to know what happened and why, and we want them yesterday. That tendency, that need, that desire, is, just works contrary to what we see in Scripture, to what we know about life of faith. That there's a lot of uncertainty, there's a lot of things we don't know, and only when we come to peace with that and say, you know what, God, I don't get it, I don't understand, but I still trust you. I don't know how this is going to work out, I don't know when this will be resolved, I don't know what will this look like when I get there, but God, I'm trusting you. It's the both and, not the either or. The doubt, the struggle has to be part of the faith. It's only in the midst of that that we find that type of depth. And some of you probably know these people. Someone who is well on in their years and you just see all this wisdom and depth about life in general. It may not even be about faith in particular, but just they just have this way about them. You don't get like that through going through life with everything good. It's only one through the struggles that we get perspectives like, okay, now I get that. Now I get that. I see that. And it's through the challenges and struggles of life that we can look back and say, huh, now I can connect the dots. So if you're in one of those seasons now where things just seem to be disconnected and it doesn't make sense, know you're in a good place. It may not feel like it at all. It may feel like hell on earth. And I get that. I don't want to. I don't want to be simplistic. When we're in the middle of this, there's nothing worse. I can't imagine what some of the pain. And I, I know some of you have experienced pain that no one should ever have to go through. So I, I'm not in any way trying to trivialize that. But in the middle of that, hopefully, hopefully, there's a sense of God's presence. Even though it doesn't make sense and you wouldn't have chosen that outcome or you would have had things worked out a different way, in the middle of all that, you can still say, God, you are in control. God, I trust you. God, in you, do I place all my hope and expectations. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, Habakkuk really wrestled with some some very realistic issues in his life, some big concerns that were just disconnects from what he thought you should do and what he was actually observing and seeing. And 
Lord, I have no doubt that there's some here this morning who right now today are looking at their lives and saying, God, this, this shouldn't be this way. There's no way this is right. and This is no way that this should be going on. Why aren't you doing something? How did you let this happen? When is this going to end? Father, in the midst of that, my prayer is that they would feel your presence like they've never felt it before. Father, they may would feel your comfort, your peace. Lord, that in the middle of it all, they can say with deep sincerity, it is well with my soul. So, Father, our faith is not based upon our emotions. It's not based upon us feeling happy or glad or good. It's about who we know you to be and how we know you to be as well. So, Lord, if there is someone who's really struggling today, I pray that they would sense your presence. And, Father, I pray as well that there would be, Lord, an end to this season that they're in, that you would bring a resolution to it, that they would be able then to look back and say, God, you've once again shown yourself to be faithful in my life. Thank you. With every head bowed and eyes still closed, I'm just going to ask if there's anyone here this morning that would just say, you know what, Sam, as you've been talking about that, that's, I'm one of those people you're talking about. I'm just in a season right now where I'm having a really, really hard time seeing God in any of this. Thank you. Thank you. Amen. Anyone else? Father, you you saw the hands that were raised. Lord, you know the ones that, that even weren't. God, I'm just going to echo my prayer. Meet them, Lord God, right now in ways they've never encountered you before. Father, provide for those needs, Lord, in ways that they never would have expected. Uh, Father, bring resolution to this circumstance, I pray. Father, Again, our call to you is that, Lord, we believe, help our unbelief. And so, Lord, with that, uh, we call it to you this day. That's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.